Welcome to Trinity Western's Chapel Podcast, a space to listen to and respond to God's invitation to worship and mission. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 11 a.m., all members of the Trinity community are invited to join us for a moment of worship and a short word from our university chaplain and director of student ministries, Reverend Dr. James Ellis III. Throughout the semester, you'll also have opportunities to hear from special guests in our local community and abroad. As a vibrant part of campus life, our chapel gathering at Trinity Western creates opportunities for us to hear and be changed by God's story in Jesus through music, teaching, prayer, scripture reading, and storytelling. We're glad you're listening in today. We hope that you encounter God's heart for you and the world. This is Job chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. Verse 10 we heard last time, but we'll hear it again uh, this time as well. He replied, speaking of Job, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Naamthite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Verse 12, when they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust upon their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you recall from last time, we've been busybodies watching Job's wife having a regrettable moment. And while we cannot skip or sanitize how out of line her comments were, telling her righteous husband to abandon his integrity, to to give God the middle finger and throw in the towel on life, we, we must recognize that you and I are not exempt from similarly damaging conduct. Confronting sin is one thing. And it's one thing that Christians must do first within themselves. But throwing stones at people or convicting them of rotten character overall, when all we truly know is that they have displayed a momentary lapse, is wrong. Contrasting the unfortunate commentary from Job's wife is his no-holds-barred, faithful reply, ever 
the archetypal God-honoring man Job is, after which in this passage we, we then see the faithfulness of his friends, his three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Naamthite. For our purposes, how about we modernize them just a little bit and call them Eli, Billy, and Zoe. We're told that they heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job. I mean, as you know, people talk a lot. So you know all over the land there had to have been chatter at the beauty shop, on Twitter. There was, there was chatter on the bus that carried outside workers into ooze every day. People were probably like, oh, have you heard? Job, Job, you know, you know, Job, the rich dude, the rich dude who owns, he got like a, a gang of sheep and donkeys and camels and whatnot. You know, Job, Job, the dude, he got, he got like a big family, something like seven sons and a bunch of daughters. Man, Job, that brother is, bro is broke as a joke. I mean, all of a sudden, what I heard was one day the Chaldeans and the Sabaeans attacked and they killed all of his servants except for four of them that they got away. And then they made off with all his livestock. And not only that, on the same day, man, Job lost all his 10 kids. They died at the house uh, that they were partying in. It just collapsed. And not even that. That's not even the end of it. I heard that now Job is covered from head to toe in sores, man. And, and basically, he, he just, he's just living in the ashes. I mean, from the, what the bus driver said the other day, what I heard was, I don't know how true this part is, but, but I heard that, that Job told his wife, you know, are you, are you still maintaining, or, or rather Job's wife told him, are you still maintaining your integrity? You know, you just go ahead and curse God and die. But Job, you know, he, he's a real righteous dude. I heard Job just told her she was tripping and that he was going to continue living for God. It's crazy stuff, man, what I heard about Job. Through whatever means... Job's friends heard about his demise. Upon hearing about it, they sprang into action, as any dependable friend should. They set out of their homes, and they met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. Verse 11. This was way before our notions of self-care and vacations and emergency family leave became more modernized, kind of standardized, compensatory expectations that we have. There's, there's no knowing if these men were self-employed, if they had a typical nine to five, or maybe they were in graduate school. We, we just know that whether it meant leaving their livelihood, whether it meant leaving their wife if they had one, or leaving their kids if they had any, or leaving other responsibilities, they left them all for an indeterminate, though temporary, period of time for the express purpose to come alongside their friend. Not that it's appropriate to evaluate your abilities as a friend or assess how your own friends measure against Job's friends, but at this point in the account, who would not want friends like these? the kind who drop, literally drop everything at a moment's notice 
coordinate with a cohort of your other close friends and hop on a camel, use their feet, take an Amtrak train or whatever they need to do to reach you when you are in your desperate time of need. Something else that's worth paying attention to in this text is their purpose. The narrator is clear that they came to sympathize and comfort. This is a spoiler alert, I guess you could say, because as the story progresses in consequent chapters, pretty quickly, his friends begin to fundamentally stray from this noble aim. Their theology gets real wacky real quickly, and the next thing you know, they're picking apart and trying to deconstruct their friend's soul. It's, it's really kind of sad to watch. What they accuse him of is erroneous and insensitive, but before any of that pops off, for the time being, we must give credit where credit is due. It is exceptionally admirable that they paused everything to travel however long they did in order to coordinate such an intercessory moment. The ministry of presence may or may not be a term that you are familiar with. It is fairly common in ministry circles, but it has no bounds. You don't need ordination papers or anything to practice the ministry of presence. Although to be clear, there are other competencies and knowledge that one needs along the way as you minister to people but, the, but the, the general idea of the ministry of presence is that you show up in someone's life and you just being there, your presence alone, that nonverbal camaraderie helps communicate God's love. It applies as equally to normal, uneventful, everyday instances, but of course it has special meaning when someone is on the edge. It's, it's goofing off with your teammates as they sign all kinds of scary release forms before being wheeled into the operating room for major surgery. You know, you make fun of their gown and they tease you about having a big head and skinny legs. In that instance, often the lighthearted ordinariness is good for the soul. Your presence alone communicates that you care and that they are loved. It's tending to someone who has just been notified of a family member's death. Being there to give a hug or to even repetitiously flip through magazines or to people watch or to uh, cry together, it speaks volumes. There are more times than you probably think when no words are the best words you'll ever utter. I can appreciate that many of us may have a hard time handling silence, but the reality is in order to truly support someone, it's vital to accept that cliched pleasantries or, or looking to always fill the air with logical declarations will hurt It'll hurt way more than it will ever heal. So I encourage you, learn to be more than you do in these instances. Be a good friend, just like Eli 
Billy, and Zoe. In verse 12, we're told that Job's health had deteriorated so with a, with a body full of abscesses that they could hardly recognize him. So you know that he was in rough shape. Their reaction was typical for the time, but, but do not let that diminish its beauty. What they did was align themselves with his anguish, weeping aloud, tearing their robes that they had just arrived in, covering their heads in dust. Obviously, with these behaviors, they could have cared less what any onlookers might have said or thought about their outbursts. This trip could not be a time for cuteness or comfort. It was about tending to their hurting friend, letting him know that they had sacrificial backup, which is the best kind. It, it was about Job's friends communicating to him, as Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it was about you weep with those who weep. Anyone can smile for the cameras. Anyone can talk a good game about the struggle, your struggle, a struggle, without any meaningful skin or investment in it. Anyone can be an ally, but an ally who can't be found when even allies begin getting canceled, well, well maybe it would have been better if they had been a co-conspirator, or better yet, a friend, or even better still, an adopted brother or sister. Anyone can tweet 280 characters of fire or sport some slogan-saturated T-shirt, but if it isn't a reflection of their ability, their dedication to be there when you are barely hanging on, what does it matter? Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. That's the ministry of presence. For 168 hours straight, they sat in silent unity. And what is it that the text describes was their motivation? They were just compelled by uh, their friends suffering, and they wanted to be there with him. And that dynamic, actually, being there for your friend, is what I want to lean into as I wrap up. Let me start by saying this. I hope that you are paying attention. In God's economy, an abundance of melanin is no curse, and a small amount of melanin is no reward. I'll give that to you again. In God's economy... An abundance of melanin is no curse, and a small amount of melanin is no reward. This should go without saying. But the events of racial injustice that detonated over the news this summer have shown us, if they have shown us anything, it has to be that the truth cannot be taken for granted. We are required to speak the truth and to respond to it. For those who've been paying even a little attention to history or these current events, there is no denying that by way of manipulation, 
colonization, murder, and other supremacist conduct, thousands of years ago, some people decided to rewrite the, narr the narrative of biblical Christianity. Many have been made to believe that the story of God's people is located exclusively in the West, and it is exclusive to those who are white, those who are affluent, and those who are English-speaking, or some combination thereof. In March, a colleague of mine and fully, uh, uh, a fuller theological seminary professor, Vince Bantu, released his first book. It is titled, A Multitude of Peoples, Engaging Ancient Christianity's Global Identity. It is a delightfully informative, historical, theological resource around this topic, if you are interested. Arguably, perhaps with greater depth than the dearly departed Methodist theologian Thomas C. Oden's book, How Africa Shaped the Christian Mind, Bantu unearths what has been outright shunned, buried, or neglected. The fact that since its inception, Christianity was an immediately intercultural, interracial, and international movement. And so I say, woe to those who dare to accept a different gospel, just as Paul has written in Galatians 6, or Galatians 1, 6 through 7, which is really no gospel at all. And this is precisely why black lives matter is a truth that must be declared in word and deed, to, to be honest, not to support an organization that has some shoddy beliefs, but to counteract the lies that have been prophesied in the Lord's name and to come to the aid of those who have been and continue to be systemically impaired in the United States, in Canada, yes, in Canada, I'll say it again, in Canada, and lots of other places across the globe. Furthermore, I'm just going to be all the way honest with you all this morning and divulge that while I am open to discourse, you are quite welcome to not inform me that all lives matter or that blue lives matter. There is no pandemic before us that has all lives suffering police brutality and murder or mass incarceration. While their service embodies an indispensable and high calling, blue lives are not being systemically tortured and terrorized, left to rot on the ash heaps of society because of the color of their skin. It goes without saying that all lives matter and blue lives matter. The point in declaring that black lives matter is to remind those whose actions suggest otherwise that it is just as true. Contrary to the deadly impropriety that has to break the heart, that, that should break the hearts of whoever has an eye to see what is so very obvious, to sanitize, to edit, or refute the depravity before us is to distort the imago Dei in a fellow human being, and it is to be a pawn of Satan together holding hands with him, standing in futile, dangerous defiance to God. 
Job's friends came to his aid at presumably great inconvenience and expense, and they came purposed to sit, not to do, not to solve, not to make the encounter about them, at least at first. They came to serve. So I'll ask you, do you have friends from backgrounds different than yours? particularly regarding race or ethnicity. And if you are white, even more particularly, who are persons of color? If you don't, well, therein lies part of the problem. Job's friends, they were his friends well before calamity hit, which then allowed them to respond authentically And deeply, had they just heard about Job's story without knowing him personally, they may have felt bad for him, but I doubt they would have rushed to his aid and and ushered all their resources toward being there for him in his time of need. So the point is, proximity matters. And lastly, for whatever friends you do have from wherever they are from, if they are hurting, maybe take some time to pray about how, to brainstorm about how, even amid the challenges of social distancing, you can stand in clear solidarity with them. Again, not to make it about your own comfort, not to make it about your own story, not to make it about some kind of superior savior approach, but just to serve just to extend, in the name of Jesus, the ministry of presence. May the Lord our God be your anchor in joy and in pain with you always till the very end of the age. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope to worship with you at our next broadcast online at livechapel.twu.ca. You can also stay connected with Chapel and Student Ministries by following us on Instagram at TWU Chapel and at TWU Student Min. Much love.